through the blood of Christ, changed this person's status into a righteous person. Where God takes ones who are enemies of God, and by enemies I mean not people who emotionally hate God, but people who have no interest in his commands, who takes the enemies of God, and through the blood of Christ, changes this person's status into that of a son. Justification is a part dimension of salvation that is once and for all, that is complete. That is, if you will, the past dimension of salvation. The future dimension of salvation is glorification. When God brings his heaven heaven down on, on earth with Christ, our bodies will be raised new, and we will conform to the glory of Christ. That's glorification. That is, where, that is our future destination. Justification, change of status, is in the past. Glorification is in the future. The in-between place, which we are right now, is called sanctification. Where God takes a person who has been justified, and God works in this person, in this time and space that you're living in, to conform your image to Jesus Christ. That is God's chief concern for the Christian. Compared to this, what job you have, whether you get married or not, what, like, you know, what happens to you in this world, those things are secondary compared to God's main purpose in this time and space for you, which is to conform your image to Jesus Christ. God will do anything and everything to make you conform to his image. God is working his his transforming power in you. That's sanctification. But what we taught, what we learned last week is God's sanctifying work, God changing your work happens primarily within the context of your obedience. God, if you are justified and if you will be glorified, God has called you to work at your salvation. Like a mechanic works at his car, you are called to work at your salvation through obedience. And you are called to work hard at your salvation. The image of a Christian in the Bible is this. The image of a Christian in the Bible is if you're a Christian, Jesus says, you are a farmer working, working hard in the field. You're a worker. The image of a Christian is, you are a runner running hard to complete the race. You are a boxer fighting strategically to land, you know, to live strategically, to be effective. You are a soldier fighting against the spirit, evil spirits of the air until your, 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 your commission is complete. You are a worker. You are a runner. You are a soldier. You are a boxer. That's the image of a Christian in the New Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament does God describe a Christian as a consumer as a contemplative just person just sitting and just thinking about Jesus? 
or Sunday Christian. Nowhere in the Bible does a Christian, it does it describe a Christian in that in a, in a very passive way. Being a Christian is an active existence, not a passive existence. And as you work hard in your life to obey the Lord, in regards to loving the people around you, in regards to obeying the commandments of righteousness, fighting the sins that need to be fought, sacrificing yourself for the work of the church, for the work of the ministry, as you work hard within the, within the framework of, of, of the calling that God has given you, it is then God makes himself known to you. The way you know that God is at work in you, the way you feel the presence of God in your life, the way you see the presence of God in your life primarily happens as you obey him. People say to me all the time, I feel spiritually dry. I feel spiritually far away from God. I feel that God doesn't exist. Can I, none of you, I'm not saying anyone over here, Right? I'm not talking this about you. But most, most of the time when people tell me that they're spiritually dry, and oftentimes this happens within the context of disobedience. They're not obeying the Lord. They're not striving to obey God. They're not striving to forgive people. They're not striving to read his word. They're not striving to pray. They're not striving to serve the church. They're not working at it. They're not working at their salvation, and yet they expect God to suddenly drop down in their lives and reveal himself. It doesn't work that way. God will be invisible if if your faith life is passive. God, that's what Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13 is about. He will make himself known to you. As you strive to obey him. Peace? Look, let me, someone told me I should rephrase what I said last week. I'm not diminishing Sunday worship. What you come to do here is very, very important. But if this is all there is to your Christian life, God will be wholly invisible to you. If you're not fighting your sins, if you're not striving to understand God through his word, if you're not giving of yourself to others, you'll never really feel him. You'll never really get him. Because to be honest with you, according to John chapter 15, you're outside of him. So the Bible calls us to work hard, work really hard at your salvation. Not for your salvation, but at your salvation. The thing that Jesus called us to work really hard for this morning in John 15 is to remain in him. Another word for remaining is abide. Another word for abide is to stay. The hardest work that God has called you to do 
in this time and space is to stay with him. It's to stay with Christ. It is to stay with him during trials. Stay with him during temptations. Stay with him during sufferings. Stay with him when you sin. It's not to be moved. But you're called to stay with him. The number one problem in Christendom is there aren't that many people who stays with Christ. They would rather do things in his name rather than personally staying with them, with him in their, in their lives. It is easier to be part of the worship team It is easier to preach than to stay with him Sunday through Sunday. But Jesus says, you need to stay with me. You need to work hard to stay with me. Why? Because Jesus is the true vine. That's what he says in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the true vine? In order to understand this, we got to understand the concept of a vineyard in the Old Testament. God describes in, I think, Psalm 80, I think, and Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, 1 through 5, God describes Israel as his vine. God says, I planted Israel, I took Israel out, and I planted Israel as my vineyard in the promised land. Israel was supposed to be God's presence in this world. Israel was supposed to be example for other nations to see what a nation, what a people belonging to God looked like. Of all the countries of the world, God made the nation of Israel And God poured his presence and truth in the nation of Israel. God planted the nation of Israel so that the world will see who God is and what a people who belong to God look like. Israel was divine. But Israel failed at being divine because of their disobedience. Even though Israel was called to obey and to exemplify the presence of God in their lives, they refused. Because they wanted other things more than God himself. So they disobeyed. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, Israel is not the true vine. It's not the true presence of God in this world. I am the true presence of God in this world. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he says, I am the true presence of God in this world. Uh, In me, I have eternal life in me. He is the source of eternal life. He is the source of God. He is the source of eternal life. 
And therefore, because he is a source of eternal life, you and me need to work hard to stay with him. Jesus says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you stay with me, you will bear much fruit. The definition of fruit is signs of life. It's a sign of life, right? In spring, right now in the wintertime, everything is dying. Right? Everything is dying. But in springtime, there will be, life will start to spring around us. There will be signs of life in the spring, right? The the trees will be greener. The flowers will bloom. Flowers bloom, right? Bugs start to crawl up in trees. The world will be warmer, greener, fresher. There will be signs of life everywhere. That's what Jesus had in mind when he says fruit. If you dwell with me, if you stay with me, you will start to, you will start to um, spring. F- signs of spiritual life will begin to spring forth from you. What are the signs of spiritual life? True love, true joy, true peace, true kindness, true gentleness, True wisdom, true self-control. These are the signs of life that will spring forth from you when you stay with Christ. It is very important for you to understand this. Listen to me very carefully. Christianity is about you getting things that you do not have naturally. Christianity, the fruit of Christianity is you starting to inhabit these characteristics that you do not have naturally. Even though you may think you have love, let's be honest, your love and my love is very shallow and temporary. Even though you consider yourself to be a kind person, your kindness is only limited to people who are good to you. The word peace that Jesus talks about here is not a sense of tranquility, but the word peace he's talking about is is God healing your brokenness. That's what peace is about, being healed of your brokenness. You cannot heal your brokenness by yourself. The joy that that Jesus talks about is a joy that transcends your possessions, your, your, your status, who you are. This heavenly joy that you do not have inside of yourselves. The fruit that Jesus promised you is that he's giving you things that you do not have on your, by yourself. I'll give you an example. I think I told you this example many times ago. There was this lady named Cory Ten Boom. She was a teenager during... World War II, you know, during World War II Germany, I think Germany or Poland, her and her entire family got sent to a concentration camp. 
all their family died in the concentration camp, but for her. After she was freed from the camp, she was, she was a Christian, she went back to Germany to tell the German people that Jesus Christ forgave them and loved them. She, was pre she, she went back to Germany to the, to the nation that killed her entire family and preached the gospel to them. On one church, on one occasion, she recognized a man sitting in the pew. That man was a guard in the concentration camp where her and her sister Betsy were imprisoned. Her, her, her sister Betsy died under that man's watch. After her speaking, the man walks up to her. The man clearly didn't recognize her, but he walked up to her and says, I used to be a guard at a concentration camp. I felt ashamed for what I have done. Can you forgive me? He apologizes. He offered his hands in reconciliation. Corey Tamboom says, I hated him. There is nothing in me that wanted to grab the guy's hand. He killed my sister. But then, she says, I feel the love that is outside from me coming into me and washing over me. And this compassion that I did not know that I had started to overflow from me. It is then, in that moment, I could reach my hand and take the man's hand. She says the only reason why she could hold that hand and forgive that man was love and forgiveness that is outside from her, coming inside of her to make her more compassionate. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. That's the fruit that Jesus talks about. Things that you do not have. When you stay with Christ, he gives it to you. On a daily basis, Look, last week I was just overwhelmingly drunk with the love of my wife. I just loved her so. I have no, I've been married like 23 years. And this love, it's outside for me because one day God said, hey, buddy, love your wife. I go, okay. As I strive to love her and I strive to pray for her more, I could feel this love that I thought that I did. I've been married for 25 years, man. What else can I love, right? But this new love, a new understanding about my wife overflow from me. And this overwhelms me. And I was drunk with her. Don't tell her that. Will you? But that's true. God is not asking you to do things that you do not have. To, to do things that you cannot do. He gives things to you so that you can do his will. That's the fruit. When you stay with Christ, that's the fruit that he gives you. But if, and that is why you need to stay. But if you're outside of Christ, 
you will bear no fruit. That's what Jesus says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, God the Father, as the vine dresser, takes away. And every branch in me that does bear fruit, that does bear fruit, God prunes that he may become more fruitful. Jesus is talking about there are two types of disciples. There are two types of people that claim to, that claim to belong to him. The true disciple and the false disciple. The context of what, what the context of John 15 is this. In John 13, it, describe, it describes Judas Iscariot. There's 12 disciples. He has 12 people on the inside. In John 13, it revealed that Judas was going to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew about this. In his inner circle, Jesus knew there were those who loved him and there are those who are going to betray him. All of them believed they belonged to Christ. But Jesus says, you may claim to believe that you belong to me, but that is not necessarily true. Every branch is in me that does not bear fruit are the disciples who claim to belong to Jesus Christ, but who do not stay with Christ. They say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't stay with him. They say something like, I'm too tired. Surely Jesus understands how tired I am. And he will surely give me an excuse how not to stay with him. Surely the gospel is free. And if the gospel is free, he expects nothing from me. So I don't have to do anything for him and I'll still go to heaven. They give so many excuses of why they're not staying with Christ in a real way. And yet they still believe they're in him. They still believe they're connected to him. Despite their public declaration of what their religion is, if you don't stay with him, Jesus says, there's no fruit, there's no life, there's no fruit in you. And therefore, you don't belong to me. And those who do not belong to me, those who do not bear fruit, it says in verse 2, Jesus removes them. Jesus takes them away from the other branches. This is something that is hard truth to understand, but it's the truth regardless. God is in the business of making fruitful branches more fruitful. And in order to make fruitful churches more fruitful, sometimes he removes 
fruitless branches from his people. I'll say it again. God's main purpose is to keep his church producing fruit. And in order to do this, God will remove fruitless branches. There are many reasons why people leave the church. Ricky left because he moved to Austin. Phil left because he moved to Richmond. God bless them. And there are many legitimate reasons they can they switch churches. But you need to understand there are some people that left the church because God removed them from us. I know it's tempting for us to feel bad about people leaving. But if we're a church that is bearing fruit, and if God is a shepherd of our church, perhaps it is for the best, for the health of this church, for some people to move. That's the hard truth, but that's the truth in verse 2. Any branch in me that does not fear fruit, for the sake of the healthy branches, God removes them. I hope none of you leave, but maybe a consideration that you need to think of when you're thinking about leaving, if you're thinking about leaving, is are you thinking about leaving whatever reason that you think it is? You need to factor and perhaps it is because God is wanting to remove you from our body. Hard truth. But that's what verse 2 is about. These people that does not bear fruit, that do not bear fruit. God, God can change them, God can pour his grace upon them, God can make them fruitful, and that's true. But if, if they remain fruitless all their lives, if they remain not staying with him all their lives, Jesus says their destiny is that Jesus will, God will gather all the fruitless branches. He will gather all the fruitless branches and he will burn them in, a, in fire. There is a seriousness there's a serious consequence that you need to consider if you're, if you're deciding not to stay with Christ. You understand? Jesus, but you may think, oh, Jesus is love. Jesus is just full acceptance. Jesus loves you so that you will bear fruit for your sake. Verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, God prunes so that it will be more fruitful. If you're a branch that is fruitful, if you're experiencing signs of life in you, if God is an ever-present reality in your your life, 
if you're obtaining all these things that you never had, if you're growing in the Lord, it says God will prune you so that you will be more fruitful. What is pruning? How does a gardener prune? I guess I never gardened before, but I guess part of gardening involves cutting things. Cutting an unhealthy part of the branches so that you will become more fruitful. If you are a fruit-bearing branch, God will make it so to prune you more, which may also involve giving you certain trials and difficulties to cut all these unnecessary things out of your life so that you will become more fruitful. That's what Jesus says. So if you are a branch that is bearing fruit, praise be to God. He will be responsible for you, and he will let you go through things in order to prune you so that more life will flow out of you. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 2. Because it is so vital that we must remain in Christ. We have to be incredibly active to stay with him. How do we stay with him? How do we stay with him? We stay with him through his word. That's what Jesus says. Verse 4, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He's telling his true disciples, you are clean. Your sins have been clean because you came to a living faith in me because you heard my words. He's telling the disciples, you are saved not because you saw me perform miracles. You are saved not because you saw me feeding the 5,000 or the fact that I walked on water. You are not saved because you witnessed me healing people. You are not saved because you saw this miraculous thing. No, you are saved because you listened to the words that I've spoken to you and my words generated faith in you. I know people say, oh, if I just saw Jesus' miracle, then I'll believe. That's not true. It is his word coming into you that convinces you of who he is and who you are that saves you. The word has saved the disciples. If you are saved, it is because the word has saved you. God has saved you coming to living faith through his word. The word is a power to save you. The word is a power for you to remain in Christ. It is through the word we maintain intimacy with Christ. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus says, if you abide, if you stay with my word, if you work really hard to stay with my word, if you work really hard to study my word, memorize my word, obey my word, pray my words, your desire will change. You'll be so intimate with him that your desire will change. Change to the point where your desire will mirror God's desire. And when that happens, when you pray, when your, when your prayers mirror God's desires, he will answer your prayer. 
The more intimate you walk with someone, it changes their desire. For example, my wife, before I married her, was offended by the idea of, of eating intestines. Cow intestines? She was totally offended by the idea of eating cow intestines. But now, that's the, she, says, she says to me, let's go eat cow intestines. Why? Because being intimate with me changed your desire for things. A silly example, but example regardless. When you're intimate relationship with someone, that intimacy changes your desire. Jesus says, the way you are intimate with me is through my word. And when you are united, united with me in my, my word, I will change your desire so that you will truly want things that God wants. And when you pray what God wants, God will listen to your prayers. It is through the word of God that you maintain intimacy with Christ. We stay in the love of Christ by obeying his command. We didn't cover this, but in verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. Jesus loved God the Father by obeying God the Father's commandments. That's what Jesus is saying. I didn't love, Jesus' love for God is not some, you know, some intimate feeling that he had for God alone. But the basis of his love for God the Father is that he obeyed God's, God the Father's command. Similarly, Jesus is saying, the way you love me is to obey my commands. You love Jesus by obeying his word, obeying his commands. Regarding money, regarding forgiveness, regarding love, regarding sex, regarding, regarding witnessing, regarding all these different areas, obey his command, then you remain in his love. How do you work hard to stay with him? Work hard to stay in his word. Work hard to keep his word. Work hard to share his word. Work hard to build your life around his word. That's how you stay with him. And when you stay with him that way, you will bear much fruit. You will begin to experience things that you do not have. You, you will gain things that you do not naturally have within you. Listen. It's hard work. Let's not joke ourselves. Let's not joke ourselves. It is hard work. If you think Christianity, call the Christianity is easy, it's not. What did Jesus says? If anyone wants to be my disciples, you must carry your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus says, right? Cross is self-denial. Killing things that you thought you once took pleasure in, that defined you, kill all of it and follow me, Jesus says. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me, Jesus said, is not worthy to be my disciple. Let's not kid ourselves. Staying with Christ is not easy. It's hard work. 
getting up early in the morning to read, not just read, but to study, not just to study, but to meditate and pray his word is not easy. Because you had a late night. You know, you have to binge that Netflix show for crying out loud. You have priorities. But Jesus says, come, follow me every morning. Dude, your phone, the Bible, is literally in your hand all the waking days of your life, right? You have the Bible app on your phone? You're literally carrying the Bible in your hand most of the time that you're awake. The Bible lab is only two thumb clicks away from reading it. But it takes so much energy to, to, for your thumb to move twice for the app to open so that you will read it. It is hard work. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not being facetious. It's hard work. Not just reading it, but actually studying it is hard work. Once I had a brother. I said, do you read the Bible? He said, yeah. I said, how do you read the Bible? Oh, before I go to bed, like five minutes, I kind of, on my bed, I read it, and I just go to sleep. That's not staying with Christ. You need to think about it and study it and meditate it. Guys, we live in the age of YouTube. Every biblical verse that you're confused of, type it in YouTube, and there's going to be a clip explaining things to you. It's crazy. I do, I do that sometimes. Sometimes I read the Old Testament. I have no idea what this Old Testament is talking about. I click on the YouTube, and they, there we go. Five, five clips of explaining to me what that verse means. We are living in a plethora of biblical resources on the palm of your hand, literally. God says, study it. Not only study it, think about it, pray with it. That's how you stay. You stay by coming to public worship. Look, it's not easy. It's hard work. I know it's hard work. It's hard work coming here. Right? Especially now, because I dropped my daughter off. Like my wife's friend's house, because there's like an orchestra recital at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. The world says religion doesn't matter anymore. All your, a lot of your children's activity happens on Sunday mornings because the world says church is not important. And it takes hard work for you to come out. It takes hard work for you to get dressed and make this a priority and come out. It is. My parents' generation will laugh at you for saying this is hard work, but it's still hard work for you. I understand. But you have to put in the work. It is hard work obeying his commands. Fight your lust, Jesus says. 
Flee from lust, Jesus says. Forgive people who wronged you, Jesus says. Sacrifice yourself for your spouse, Jesus says. And it's hard. It's hard work, yo. Let's not mix word. It's hard. But you're called to do it in order for you to stay in Christ. Going to small groups on Friday is hard because you had a tired week. And when the magical hour of 5 p.m. on Friday rolls around, you want to be free from the shackles of any obligation. I understand. Trust me, I understand. But you need to put in the work to share to be with the people of God, to share the word of God, and to listen to the word of God. It takes hard work. It takes hard work to you for you to evangelize. Remaining in God's word means evangelizing. It takes hard work to do that. Parents, it takes hard work for you to lead family worship. I know how hard it is because your kids don't want to listen. All of it is hard work. And these things God has called you to do so that you will stay with Christ. But this is what I want you to understand. Even though these things are very hard, when you actually start to do them, you will experience the presence of God in all of it. God is not a drill sergeant. He's not a Muslim. He's not Allah saying, do this or else. He's saying, do this. When you do this, I will be with you in the midst of you doing it. Philippians 2.13. It is God's work in you. To will and so that you will will and act to do his work, which means the energy of God, the presence of God is in you. As you strive to obey him in this area, you will experience him in these, you will experience him in these all these little obediences that you do. When I try to love my wife, I feel his presence. When I forgive my enemies, I feel his presence. When I fight lust, I feel his presence. It is not the accomplishment that's important as much as you obeying in the process of obedience, in the midst of that obedience. That is where he is. That is how you experience him. He's saying fight lust, he says. Yeah, that's true. But you're forgetting. It's in the midst of you fighting that he's in there. Energizing you, comforting you, leading you, and if it need be, forgiving you. He's in the presence of all the areas of obedience in your life. That's how you obey him. Do you understand? As you seek to obey him, you will see him. And he will give you things that you do not have naturally but on your own. 
my dear beloved embrace. Work really hard to stay with Christ. Forget the excuses you make of things that you think that God will understand of you not remaining. John 15 says, there's nothing in John 15 that says Jesus will understand of you not remaining with him. There's nothing in, in there that says that. Remain with him. Let's have a moment of prayer. Are you staying with Christ? Not theoretically, not just this warm and fuzzy emotionally, but actively. Are you staying with Christ? Are you staying with his word? Guys, God has called every individual to obey him in a certain area. Right now, he's calling you to obey him in a certain area of your life. The calling is different from... It's in, in, in your life right now, there are things that he wants you to obey. What is that? Or, and are you obeying that? Are you working hard to understand him? Are you working hard to obey him? If not, confess that you are prone to wander. wander. Confess that you felt no need to stay with him. Confess that you are, you are satisfied with not bearing fruit. Confess that you didn't see the need to stay with him. Ask him to forgive you and change your mind. Ask him for the grace and the motivation and the will to stay with him. For these things, let us meditate and we'll pray for a bit.
friends to remain in you, dear Lord. Dear Lord, that they are the dearest of these people, that they are willing to obey you. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we thought we were perfectly, it was perfectly acceptable for us not to stay with you. We confess that we did not want to put, our, put work into staying with you. We thought and we believed that you were perfectly understanding of us not staying with you. And because we did not stay with you, because we're always prone to want.